Ho, 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 and welcome to the Ye Olde Guide Christmas Special. Ye Olde Guide is a podcast dedicated to the history of the towns and cities of England. My name is Liam McGrath, and I'm delighted to introduce the ghost of Christmas past, historian Daniel Gooch. So have you done all your Christmas shopping yet, Daniel? Some of it. I tend to buy a lot of last minute gift vouchers for, for nephews and nieces, but they're, they're happy with that. I actually, I went out to town with my daughter today. We bought a top secret mm-hmm. present for, for my wife, for her mother. Came home. That's good. Snuck her upstairs, snuck it under her bed to hide. And then uh, my wife comes down from uh, reading her bedtime story tonight saying, Emma just said there's something under her bed. Do I want to, to have a look at it? So have... Having gone through all the effort, it's kind of been a bit wasted, but you can't trust a three-year-old to keep a secret is the message there. Uh, but she's at the age now where Christmas getting exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, this, this is, this Gives is some purpose. <laughs> the child dividend, yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to it more than probably any Christmas since I was a child. Although she did say last night she wanted to give all her presents away to other children. Not not she was feeling generous, oh, no. she was just feeling grumpy, really. Good. Oh, well, I'm relieved because, you know, I, I just think with Christmas, you, you want a net gain, really. That's a horrible thing to say. No, net, net gain in, <laughs> <net> gain in <laughs> presents. Well, ideally, if you're, if you're a three-year-old, I suppose, yeah. Well, um, oh, brilliant. Well, I've, I've done mine, um, but I've, yeah, I've been enjoying the, the festive period. Just had um, a short trip to Stratford, Warwick and Leamington Spa. Three all very interesting, uniquely interesting towns. And they all had quite, well, Warwick had a uh, Victorian market when I was there, Victorian Christmas market, which was very nice. And Stratford had a, Christmas market as well so they were feeling very festive and closer to home we've got a festive market on the Thames which is very nice it's that time of year we're going to talk about Christmas markets so this is the Ye Olde Guide Christmas special we've never done one before no nope. uh, more normally, like more light-hearted I think isn't it than normal that's the well idea. let's hope so I mean, normally on the podcast we focus on one town and we go through the history of one town and we've been to well we've been to loads of places this year but this one we're going to go around all over the place just talking about some of the traditions that we see at Christmas in our towns and cities. Let's go Let's go right back. In our podcast episode on Colchester, we went to Britain's or England's oldest town. I think Britain's oldest town. Roman town. Mm-hmm. Formed around the Temple of Claudius, as I recall from the episode, AD 40 sort of time. Uh, at that time, were they celebrating Christmas? Had it reached our island? Uh, not, not at that point. I mean, there were midwinter celebrations, of course. I think Saturnalia is, 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 is the famous one, which may have had some influence on the date and kind of some of the traditions of Christmas, though that is, as all these things are, disputed by historians. Um, so Saturnalia, Roman god of Saturn. Yes. Something to do with him. Yeah, exactly. Just his festival, basically. It's well known. Breaks up the winter, doesn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Makes it a bit less miserable. Did, when when did we start celebrating Christmas as a you know, G- Jesus? The, the Saxons celebrated the New Year around what we have as Christmas Day, but I think the first recorded celebrations specifically of the birth of Jesus in this country are in the late 6th and 7th century, so yeah, in, in, in Saxon times. And it was un, really under Alfred the Great that the 12 days of Christmas um, start on Christmas Day start to be a a big period of celebration. And this continued really until, I suppose, industrial times when people previously 
had celebrated this 12-day period as their time off work, but with more kind of mm. obligations to, the, to their employment, were not able to take so much time off. And it, Christmas became more of a kind of intense period of one or two day celebration. But we're, we're jumping ahead a bit there. It was really around that time as well under Alfred the Great that wassailing started as a tradition. Have, have you ever been wassailing or heard of it? Oh, I've never been. I've, I've heard of it. I don't know. What, what on earth is it? What is wassailing? It, it's actually a kind of a, a pagan English tradition, which goes back centuries. I, th- I think the first recorded mention is in uh, Beowulf, that famous epic poem, as, as drinking toast. And it's related to the New Year, really. as I said. New Year celebrations were around the same time that celebrations of the birth of Jesus started happening in this country. And there, there are two distinct types of, of wassailing. One, which is an urban version, which is where people would travel between houses, often houses of the wealthy, and expect to receive gifts, presents of some kind in exchange for a drink from their, their wassail bowl. And this, this drink might be a simple mulled ale, similar to the mulled wine or mulled cider we might have today. Some apple-based drink, perhaps with cream and spices, I suppose a little bit like a like eggnog, you might imagine it like that. And this urban version of wassailing is really the, the basis, or one basis, for the modern-day practice of carol singing mm. i certainly used to be forced to inflict on my neighbors as a child i don't know how i ever raised any money but it worked it, it, it's kind of similar to other english traditions of going around asking for gifts or donations like thomasing on st thomas's day just before christmas or, or mumming is another tradition related to that and if you think about the christmas carol as, as well as the one here we go wassailing we wish you a merry christmas where the wassailers later carolers would be demanding figgy pudding from the people they were singing to. The context there is the history of wassailing, going around demanding pudding or whatever it was in return for previously a wassail drink, subsequently your, your carol singing. So basically they're paying you to, to go away. Yeah, I, I think that's the only reason I ever got anything. So whatever, whatever old traditions, uh, I mean, the monarchy have been really important in the, the history of Christmas in celebration absolutely and um famously when we got rid of the monarchy during the interregnum the puritan parliament banned christmas as kind of a when wasteful emblematic of catholicism you know that there were protests and riots against it there were people celebrating its reversal after the restoration of the monarchy so there is a kind of tenuous link in that sense between monarchy revelry and what happens at christmas and if, if you go back kind of centuries you could at least one possibly a couple of monarchs have actually been crowned on christmas day saint edmund the famous east anglian king saint edmund was possibly crowned on christmas day in 855 the sources aren't certain but clearly people want us to believe that william the conqueror was certainly crowned at westminster abbey in 1066 and famously it was a fire was started there by supporters thinking there was a riot outside when people were acclaiming him as king Finally, Henry III's daughter actually married the Scottish king in 1348. So there's there's clearly a link that's that's wanted to be kind of propelled outwards there. And the reason is possibly just to emphasise a link with the divine as the, the source of um, these monarchs' sacred authority. But really, if you're looking at links between monarchy and Christmas traditions, we have to go, I suppose, to Queen Victoria, Prince Albert, because it was really around the 19th century where so many of the Christmas traditions that we we have today started to to become invented. We talk about Christmas trees. Christmas trees are so that's the obvious yeah, one, isn't it? Yeah. So you know, every town and city across Britain these days has a 
Christmas tree on its main town square. But this was originally a, a German. Yes, it was indeed. The origins are came across to us really from German royalty. Um, George III's wife, Queen Charlotte, certainly had Christmas trees. They were noted at the time as being a specifically German practice. There's a report of one she put up for a party in 1800 at the Queen's Lodge in Windsor. But they didn't really become more widely popular until her granddaughter Victoria was queen. And then there were images and reports of her family, which was, of course, at least half German, depending how you're defining it, gathered around this traditional German tree at Windsor. It was really at that point these images were disseminated widely. Prince Albert is sometimes, her husband is sometimes said to have introduced the tradition of the Christmas tree to Britain. Now, this isn't true, of course, because we've seen Queen Charlotte had one before, but there's no question that his family image, um, the traditional supposedly English family gathered around a Christmas tree, helped popularise Christmas trees. And he did present trees to institutions like schools and army barracks. But for our purposes, we're probably interested in um, public displays of Christmas trees because mm. most towns and cities, pretty much all, will have a, a large tree displayed somewhere in the town. So trees, because kind of domestically in the home, they, they stayed quite exclusive until the 20th century, but they were, you know, even in Victorian times, we, we exhibited widely in public. Um, famously, the large tree in Trafalgar Square is an annual gift from Norway in thanks for British support during the Second World War. But the the tree in Newcastle is also a gift from Norway, specifically from its twin city of Bergen, again, for World War II support. Yeah, I, I understand that the Norwegian well, the Norwegian government in exile was in, in London, as mm. government in exiles often were yeah, yeah. In, the, in the Second World War. The king, um, in gratitude, has don- donated this, this tree, Norway spruce. Last year, it was accused. People said it was a bit scrawny looking last year. It didn't look Which great. I thought was unfair. I thought it was beautiful. Well, a lovely tree. It, it's maybe, the, maybe the photos weren't flat. So Christmas trees um, are a big part of how we celebrate Christmas in, in British cities. What else? What else do we do? Pantomime is a big thing. And um, I think we should talk about this because we've spoken a lot about theatres, but I suppose it's interesting to consider what happens to, to theatres at Christmas. We talk about this as an important part of town's cultural heritage. And many of them get transformed into location stages for pantomimes. Pantomimes, if you're not f- familiar with the tradition, if you're not from, if you're not from the UK or just haven't heard of them, um, they're basically kind of loud, garish plays with song, dance, music, based on a few stock stories. Like they could be based on fairy stories. I think Aladdin and the Arabian Nights comes into it. Jack and the Beanstalk, these babes in the wood, traditional stories are all, all come into it. And again, there's a royal link there because the the late queen and her sister used to appear in pantomimes at Windsor Castle. There are famously several uh, photos of them that were made public of them appearing in Aladdin. This historical kind of heritage of pantomime it really is kind of, it's quite diffuse. Um, notably, Commedia dell'arte, which is a, a European form of kind of semi-improvised comedy theatre, is one inspiration for it. I don't know if you watch Inside Number 9, Liam, but there was recently an, an episode they had which was based purely on this form of, of Commedia dell'arte, which is kind of um, a form which had stock characters like pantomime, specific people, including the servant Scaramouche from Bohemian Rhapsody, but also stock character types like goodies and baddies and interaction really played very much out for the public but another heritage another inspiration for pantomime is mummers plays which were traditional english folk plays which were also performed at christmas which helped kind of reinforce some of those stock character types and you had this fusion of uh commedia dell'arte and these mummer tropes 
And pantomime kind of transitioned from the introduction of Commedia dell'arte into Britain the, in Georgian times into those few specific stories that are always covered in pantomime it became also interwoven with kind of music hall performance uh, tropes and mannerisms. The precise format and stock scenes have you know, changed over the centuries, but slapstick, cross-dressing, interaction with the audience do remain essential to every single pantomime. They now focus mainly on, as I said, children's stories or fairy stories, but you can still get pretty lavish professional productions that you know, right, might run for a month or more. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Mr. Tumble, I think, performing in the one in Reading. So they, they often do star actors and celebrities of various levels of fame and career success. But mm-hmm. um, as I mentioned, also um, also royalty have been in them. So yeah, it's a it's a really no, they're a big deal at Christmas. Yeah, really big deal, really essential you, part of it. Have you been to one? Been to one this year? Mm, I haven't been to one since I was a very small child. Oh well, you're to you one. I'm trying to remember. I don't. I think it might have been Peter Pan. I was probably about five years old. All I really remember is just screaming. It's behind you at the top of my lungs. Yeah, that's what. You, that's what. You, yeah, you just shout, don't you? All the kids just point and go. It's behind you. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all I remember. Well, I thought there's more to it. It's in plenty of Punch and Judy. That has similar Commedia dell'arte um, origins, I think. Another big element of English British cities that's come come about more recently, actually, and we had we we learnt this on our Lincoln episode. The German Christmas market. So obviously, it's a German thing, but now they seem to be ubiquitous up and down um, England, and that that started in Lincoln. In this country, yes. Um, obviously, the, the, the origins are, as you said, um, German, much like the Christmas tree. Um, and they have a much longer tradition in German-speaking parts of Europe. But um, the first Christmas market was indeed established in the UK in Lincoln in 1982. And s- since they, then, they've really sprung up everywhere. Most towns will have you know, maybe three to four stalls selling bratwurst and glühwein at least. Mm. But you also have kind of this... this teeming behemoth of the the frankfurt christmas market in birmingham one of the biggest in the world i think it yeah, claims to be the largest german christmas market outside germany or austria which is quite quite a claim i can believe that and it, it, it is absolutely huge um and really these things have in many cases become urban centerpieces of christmas consumption and commercialism in this country um, some people might have negative thoughts on that but i suppose it does at least bring people out and together into community spaces. So it's a refreshing use of uh, community areas. I think so. And people talk a lot today about rejuvenating the high street by introducing more mixed uses, more entertainment alongside the high street shops. And it, it kind of does that, doesn't it? If you think of some of our high streets outside of Christmas, they are a bit monotone. Yeah. It's lots of clothes shops, chains, and I think the, the Christmas market does bring a bit of yep. bit of energy. You have a yeah. you can have a overpriced glass of mulled wine and a bratwurst. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's right. I think the, the the challenge lots of towns have is that our streets often aren't really designed for these things. Like if you if you go to the one in Birmingham, those streets are not. It's on the street. It's not in a huge public square, and it can sometimes yeah. get so busy that you can't move. Plus, to be honest, my it comes head. down New Street, doesn't it? It's yeah, a very exactly. busy street, right in the middle of right in the middle of Birmingham, and it goes up. I mean, the location is wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's good. That it's so central, very convenient. Uh, the only final thing um, we should say that we do in British towns and cities as Christmas tradition is Christmas lights, and that's I'm sure that's the same all over the world. What surprised me about this is this came actually a bit later than I thought. I mean, the first first I can find of Christmas lights in an English town or city 
was uh, 1954 Regent Street. And, you know, we've spoken on the podcast this year about post-war uh, regeneration in cities, and we spoke about that with Coventry and, and other places. And and there was a feeling uh, for the, what inspired the 1954 decorations on Regent Street was criticism in the Telegraph, I believe, that post-war Britain looked drab and miserable at Christmas. Mm. So the the business people um, got together and, and put up some Christmas lights, and they were very swiftly copied by other commercial districts. But the lights went out on Oxford Street in 1967 because they kind of went out of favour. It was felt they were expensive and really not not the right thing to be doing. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't so we that now. we went dark for a few years, and then uh, they came back in full force in the late 70s, 80s, and now they're just a massive deal and. Each year, you have a D-list celebrity um, come and switch on you. Well, I, I can't remember a time without Christmas them, of Those are some of the traditions of Christmas as celebrated in English towns and cities. Oh, we just wanted an excuse to talk about Christmas. Yeah. Really. So, you know, there, there, there we go. Some of it a bit tenuous. But um, so, that, well, that's what we thought of anyway. Probably missed other urban Christmas traditions. So if you can think of any. Please do get in touch. You can tweet us at Yieldy Guide, or you can leave a comment on the website, yieldyguide.com, if we've missed any Christmas tradition that we see in towns and cities in England. And we will come back next year and cover them. <laughs> we have our next proper episode coming up in the new year. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, Cambridge. Cambridge. Back on the tourist trail again, one of the one of the well-known, well-visited towns. We're going to try and take a unique perspective on this. There's plenty of podcasts that talk about clever people from Cambridge. We, we certainly went to some places in Cambridge I'd never been to before. Um, so lots to talk about. And following that, we've got Stoke-on-Trent, which is a particularly unusual city in England, and it's polycentric. Six towns merged into one uh, world-famous centre for ceramics. Well, I think that's it. I think that's all, all that's left to say is um, wish all our listeners a very happy Christmas. Uh, we'll be back in the new year. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.